places in scripture where the Bible says to love your enemies and, and, and doesn't that seem very unreasonable and then forgiveness very active forgiveness it just, it just violates our sense of justice to think about forgiving someone who's not shown any remorse not asked for forgiveness and so we find along the way that our sinful nature likes to manifest itself in, in certain ways. And so there are different sins that are a little harder for us to overcome than it seems to be for other people. And so when we reach this point, there, there's a few things that can happen, I guess a few different directions we can go. One, we can simply uh, ignore God's word. That's, that's the easiest way. If you don't read the Bible, it won't convict you. So we can just ignore God's word. Or, or two, we can, we can read it, but we can explain it away. And so we justify everything that we do when we become hypercritical so that we see everyone else's sin and never see ours. And that results in this kind of pharisaical legalism. Or we can just give up. A lot of people are not in church today because they've given up. But there's a better way. You see, the Apostle Paul understood that, that we don't have the strength to do this. And that's why he wrote to the church at Ephesus, telling them that he was, he was praying that God would strengthen them, that God would give them what they needed to do what he's called them to do and to be who he's called them to be. And that's the great news for us. You see, when we come to the point that we realize we don't have the ability to do this, that's it's really a great milestone in our growth. Because it's that humble recognition of our own insufficiency that leads us to the one true source of strength that's able to get us through. And that's God. God wants to give us what we need to do what he has called us to do. And so that's why the greatest need in my life, the greatest need in our church, is for us to call on the Lord in prayer. To ask him to give us what we need. To give us patience and perseverance and wisdom and deeper faith. To give us the strength to live out this Christian life that he's called us to. And so today as we look in this passage in Ephesians, we see where Paul was praying exactly this for the church at Ephesus. And I hope that we'll make it our prayer as well. Ephesians chapter 3, we're looking at verses 14 through 21. Would you join me in standing out of reverence for God's word as we read this together? Beginning in verse 14, the Bible says, 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we pray for that same strength that Paul asked for the church at Ephesus. May the Spirit move within us and do a work that will enable us to understand the love of Christ. Give us the strength. Give us the ability to be who you've called us to be, to do what you've called us to do. We come before you, God, in full faith and utter dependence, asking you to do the very thing that you've promised you would do. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Well, we, we pray because it is God who grants us power. That's what this, the Bible teaches us here. We, we pray when you, because it's God who grants us the power. We don't become able because we learn more. We don't become able because we get smarter. We don't become able because we try harder. We become able because God grants us what we need. It's a So if we think about a moment, what, what does this look like to, to pray and to ask God for this? The first thing that I think we need to think about for a moment is the attitude in which we pray. Paul says in this first part of verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. You see, prayer begins with a proper attitude. I, I don't know that that we always need to bow our knees, but we always need to bow our hearts. When we come before God, there's, there's a spirit that we need in order to be heard and to be received. I think that's why Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, the first part he taught them was to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The focus that opening part of the prayer was on the nature and the glory of God. There's a place in prayer for asking for things. The Bible teaches us to ask for things. In fact, the Bible says that some things we don't have because we haven't asked. So there's a place in prayer to ask for things. But that place is after our worship of God. So Paul 
says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so if we come before God to be heard, to ask for strength. But before we begin to confess all of our weakness and ask for this gift, let us recognize who we're praying to. And with humility, we stand in awe of his holiness. Like Paul, who literally bowed his knees, may we bow our heart before God. Prayer should begin with a proper attitude. And it, it unfolds with a recognition of who we're praying to. In verse 15, it says, From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We, we speak today when we pray to the God who spoke and brought the entire world into existence. There's so many people today in the world that you cannot get access to. I don't know if there's a person in this room that could speak to the president. Maybe we have some people that would be willing to write a big enough check that you could get access for a moment to the president. There's all kinds of people, famous people, maybe people you admire that you'd like to have access to, but you'll never get to meet them. the God who spoke and brought the world into existence is just a breath away. He makes himself available so that we can pray and commune with him. And we come with a proper attitude, understanding who we're talking to. This is how our prayers begin. And the reason that we pray is because in ourselves we That's, that's the opposite of power. And I know that in our culture, power is usually a negative word. We think about power in terms of, of corrupt power and people oppressing people. But that's not the kind of power that the Bible is speaking about. The Bible is speaking about ability. Ability. Being able to do something. And so the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit enables us. The Holy Spirit makes us able to do something we could not do on our own. And so it's because in our weakness, we realize that, that we can't do this. We can't live a perfect life. We don't want to forgive people. Anybody that says, everybody that's ever wronged me, I just immediately forgave them. I just wanted to forgive them. No, no, you, no, you didn't. To see them get what they deserved. That's, that's our nature. And it's only through the work of the Spirit that God changes our hearts and enables us to forgive people. Forgiveness is just one example of a million things that God wants to do in our lives. Things that we can't do on our own. Because the Spirit may be willing. The flesh is weak. We don't have the power. And that's why we go to God, because He is the source of our strength. He is the enabler of the weak. He is the one that gives us the ability to do the things that He's called us to. So that's why verse 16 says that according to the riches of His glory, 
he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The Bible says, according to the riches of his glory, our resources may be limited, but his are without limit. The riches of his glory. He has what we need. And he says that he may grant you, that he may grant you. It's a gift. God is not looking for us to to earn it somehow. It's not a rank to be acquired or a a merit badge where we check off these duties or we achieve some skill level and and receive competency. No, it's a gift. We come before God with this attitude that Isaiah had when he said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We come before God and we say, God, I I really don't know how to do this. I don't know that I can do this. Would you grant me the strength to do that which you've called me to do? Would you grant me the strength to persevere? Would you grant me the strength to love? Would you grant me the faith to give? Whatever it might be, we come before God and we confess his weakness and we ask him to give us, to grant us this strength that we need. And how does God do this? The Bible says it's through his spirit. To be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So much of this world is focused on the outside. We're looking at what people have. We're looking at what people look like. We look at how people dress and we make a judgment about who we think they are. But the Bible says God doesn't look at people as we look at people. We look at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And you see, what's on the inside, it always comes out. That's why it's so important that we focus on the condition of our heart. Because who we are comes out in our life. You can be a liar and a faker and you can pretend for a long time, but eventually it comes out. A bad tree can't produce good fruits either. And so what God does is he does a work in our inner being through the spirit. It's a mystery. I can't explain it to you how it happens. But yet we've seen it over and over again throughout history. As God has taken people and changed their hearts and transformed them into a totally different person. Their new behavior being a fruit of the work of the Spirit inside of them. Maybe here today you say, Pastor, it sounds great. I want that. And the answer is to pray. And ask God that he may grant it to you through the Holy Spirit, the strength to do what he's called us to do and to be who he's called us to be. You know, it's answered prayer that enables us to know the love of Christ. In verse 17, he says, so that, so that 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 phrase, so that means what he's about to say is the hope 
It's the end goal uh, of the prayer of the work of the Spirit. That God would grant the strengthening of the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. The Bible talks about relationship in terms of being in Christ. And there are those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. There are those who are in God's family and not in God's family. And to be in Christ, this passage teaches us, is to be, to be in love. God is love. As we come to know him, we learn what love looks like. It's so much different than what many people describe today. There's a new trend of people writing their wedding vows. I've given into it and let a few folks do it, but I think it's a horrible idea. I really do. And some of the vows, not in any ceremony that I perform, but some of the, the very popular vows that I've heard lately say, for as long as we shall both love each other. What a terrible misunderstanding of what love is. God's love is not something that can change. It's not something that's shifting. We don't have to get up today and say, I wonder, does God love me today like he loved me yesterday? God's love is consistent. And we begin to understand what love is by seeing what God did for us as he sent his son to die. The, God, the Bible says, for God so loved the world, the extent of God's love, he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. In fact, the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what the love of God looks like. Before we ever came and asked for forgiveness, before we ever tried to do better, while we were still in sin, God sent his son to make a way for us to be redeemed. How can we know this love or understand it? According to the Bible here, it comes about the work of the Spirit. Paul was praying that that church would be granted strength by God through the Spirit so that they might know the love of Christ, that he would dwell in their hearts through faith, and that they would be rooted and grounded in love. In fact, Jesus said about the church that they would know us by our love for one another. To be in Christ is to be in love. Say, Pastor, I mean, that's just, that's just not who I am. I believe that. But it is who you can be if you ask God to change your heart. If you ask God to give you the spirit. If you ask God to give you the strength. If you ask God to make you rooted in the love of Christ. It is who you can become. You see, Christ's love is deeper than we can comprehend on our own. 
most of the time we learn things by comparison. That's why Jesus told so many parables. He talked about everyday familiar things that the people understood in order to illustrate spiritual things that they didn't understand. And oftentimes it's, it's by comparing the familiar to the unfamiliar that we begin to understand the unfamiliar. This is why teachers in class give all these illustrations because they're trying to help us relate something we know so that we can understand something that we don't know. But unfortunately, when we look around the world today, we don't know anything like the love of Christ. Even our best efforts fall short of the love of Christ. So we don't really have a point of comparison, but yet through the Spirit, Paul was praying that they might come to understand the extent of God's love. So he says, so that you may have strength to comprehend with all the things. Listen to this. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? That is, he was saying that you might understand how big Christ's love. Because there's going to be times in your life when even after your best effort, even after some of your best days, you're going to fall short. But you're going to need to be reminded that Christ's love is big enough even for those days. As the Old Testament would say, His mercy is new every day. We think about God, who we can't explain or fully comprehend. I mean, how could we? We're just a finite creation. He's the infinite, eternal God. And the scripture teaches us about Father, Son, and Spirit. So in verse 19, he says, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And earlier, he said, this is through the work of the Spirit. And so we see in this passage, Father, Son, and Spirit are in unity. Thus to know the love of Christ is to experience the, the fullness of God. Someone once said, problem with offering ourselves as a living sacrifice is that the sacrifice keeps wanting to fall off of the altar. There's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? We can have great days when our heart is right. We're passionate, red hot for God. We want to serve. We have the best of intentions. And yet we still find ourselves in times slipping back into old ways, needing to reconfess things that we'd already confessed and repented of. And it's a reminder that, that our best efforts still fall short of the glory of God. So in humility, when we see God do a work inside of us that produces fruit, we need to give him the glory. We need to give him the glory 
for what he does in us and for what he does through us. And so Paul would say in verse 20, now to him, and I love this, to him who is able, what power is its ability, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So if you're thinking this morning, this is not going to work for me. I have too many problems. I've gone too far. It's not going to work for me. I'm asking too much if I ask God for that. The Bible says that he is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. He is able. And that's the encouraging moment in our life that when we recognize that we are weak, that he is strong. When we come to the point and we say, God, I, I, just, I just can't do this. I can't figure it out. I don't even know how. It's the moment that God is waiting for. For us to recognize our need. So that he can grant us the strength that we need. And he is able to do that. He is able to do more than we're asking for. He's able to do more than we can ask for. The Bible says here he's able to do more than we can even imagine. How does he do it? According to the power at work within us. So Paul would say to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God's power is greater than our weakness. So when we come to a place in the Bible, we read that and we say, God, God I, just, I don't really know how to do that. I, I hope the pastor can do that. I really expect my Sunday school teacher to do that. I don't think I can do that. I'm just, I'm just low on the totem pole, mediocre, average Christian. I don't think I can. I'm telling you through God's help you can. It's in our moment of weakness that we recognize that we need God. And when we pray and we ask, God empowers us to do the things that he's called us to do. It's through a work of the spirit within us. A mystery we can't fully understand, but through faith can fully receive. God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all working together. To enable us. And so it's him. Who does the work. And so we give him glory. And through prayer. We enter. The eternal work of God. The Bible says here in verse 21. To him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus. And listen to this. Throughout all generations. Forever. And ever. Throughout the world, religions have come and gone. Now, I remember in, in eighth grade, we had to read Greek mythology. I don't, I don't think there's a person on this planet today that, that believes in any of those gods. In the Old Testament, we read about the Egyptian gods. I don't, I don't think there's anybody in Egypt today worshiping those gods. Maybe there are, but I'm not aware of them. You can't find a Canaanite. 
organizations don't even exist anymore working for the Bible. And yet here we are today, thousands of years later, serving the same God by the same name who is working to accomplish the same purpose. And friends, a million years from now, it'll be the same. The work that God is doing is eternal. And when we come before God in prayer, we say, God, I really don't know how to do this. But I believe you do. If you want me to do this, give me the strength. Give me the ability. God grants us the Holy Spirit who empowers us. And we enter something that is eternal. Eternal. Not something that will last a lifetime. Not something that will last the length of America. But something that is eternal. So if you're here today and there's some area of your life that you say, Pastor, I just don't I don't think I'm able to do that. That's good. Because you're not on your own. The next step is to pray. And to ask God for strength. If he has called you to that, he will empower you for it. When we believe by faith, that's when we begin to understand and comprehend the love of Christ. That's when God begins to do a work inside of us. Work that can produce eternal life. So I want to encourage you today to believe. Trust in Him. Ask Him to empower you to live this life. Not, not for our own good, but for His glory. Let's pray together. Father, it's an overwhelming task that you've called us to as we enter a post-Christian era in America it's becoming harder and harder but God, it's not too difficult for you so in full faith trust and believing we ask today that you give us the power of your spirit do a work within us change who we are so that we might become able to do what you've called us to do. Father, when you work through us to build and expand your kingdom, help us, Lord, to remain humble that we might give all the glory and the praise to you. For it's in your Son's name that we pray. Today as we close, I want to invite you to respond to the Lord. Paul talked about praying that they might know the extent of Christ's love, how big it was. Maybe here today and, and you've never really understood that. Here's what the Bible teaches. It, it teaches that every single one of us have sinned against God. The Bible explicitly says that in many, many places. In one verse it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all separated from God because of our sin. 
and only tell you the good, the bad news so you can understand the good news. You see, the good news is that even in our sin, God loved us so much that he made a way for us to be forgiven. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. And what was significant about that death was not how horrific it was. Many people have been tortured to death. What's significant about Christ's death is that unlike you and I, he didn't deserve to die. The wages of sin is death, but Christ had never sinned. He did not owe those wages. And so when he went to the cross, he went as our substitute, paying a price that he didn't owe. And so today, if you are believed, and just simply say, God, I, I want to live for you. I know I've sinned and I want to be forgiven. You could receive forgiveness. You receive it because it's a gift. So if you've never done that before, when we sing, I want to invite you to pray. If you need help praying, I'll be standing at the front. You can step out from your seat and come. Or you can pray right there in the pew where you are. I expect most of us here today are believers. And I hope that you've reached the point of Christian maturity that you recognize that you don't have the strength on your own to be who God's called you to be or to do what he's called you to do. And so I urge you today, in prayer, in faith, to ask God to strengthen you and empower you that he might use us for his glory. So friend, however you need to respond, let's do it now as we sing. Let's stand together. Mm -hmm.